Hello. Happy Memorial Day weekend and welcome to the third episode of the Brosane Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And we are recording from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Woohoo! <laughs> Today, I thought it'd be fun uh, basically to pick Alex's brain on a lot of these advanced player metrics that he talks about a lot. And I think it'd be sort of fun to run through what the different advanced stats metrics are that are beyond the box score numbers that we're all familiar with and use that as a lens to look at our current roster so that we can get a sense of where we are right now, where our strengths are, and what we might need for the future. Yeah, now's not a bad time to do that because uh, free agency hasn't started yet, the draft hasn't happened yet, uh, nobody's made any trades, so it's a good time to take stock of, based on last year's numbers, what do we have? What are our building blocks? And uh, it's a way to sneak in a topic I like, which is these advanced metrics, uh, uh, we're well aware that what we're basically going to be doing is talking about some statistics. Uh, so we're, we'll, we'll try to keep, keep things moving and uh, make it accessible. And just, and just stepping back, why are, why are these interesting? Like, why couldn't you just look at someone's points per game, rebounds per game? Is this kind of trying to do like a, an omni score? Is that part of it? Yeah, it's a, it's the holy grail of people who like to quantify things with a kind of an engineer's mentality. It, it's, can you come up with one number that says if a player is good or not be, to tr- settle those uh, sports radio type of arguments? And the, the type of player that really um, makes these figures necessary is Allen Iverson, who w- had a lot of arguments about whether he was a good player or not. Everybody admired the way he played. He played with a lot of guts. He was about the size of most fans <laughs> watching and yet was able to lead the league in scoring one year, win an MVP award. Um, and the advanced numbers broke down, showed that he, you know, created a lot of shots for his team, but that he himself wasn't a very efficient scorer. And so the advanced numbers were a good lens into, um, basically giving, uh, giving people some backup who wanted to move beyond just admiring how heroic Iverson appeared to be being a, a small guy out there among the trees. And that he was not necessarily like a top five you know, point guard of all time because of that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, he, the, the numbers don't really back up him being an elite scorer where he was a high volume shooter and very efficient. LeBron, Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, those guys create a lot of shots and make a lot of them. And Iverson created a lot of shots and didn't make as many of them. And, uh, and I, I think you could say that that's why he wasn't in title contention a lot. Uh, uh, anyway, so that's that's an, an example of the, the type of argument that comes from um, trying to look at efficiency. And uh, so let, let, let's let's take the go through a, a couple of the approaches people take to breaking these down with numbers, and then talk about what do we have uh, from our current roster? What do these numbers say about our players? So we so we have this spreadsheet. I love this. I I, I put together this Google spreadsheet called Pistons Roster Cheat Sheet, and I emailed it to my brother uh, last night, and I was like, so it'd be cool. I mean, I have, like, their age, their years of left on their contract, their salaries, and the minutes per game last year. And I was like, so maybe we could throw this together. He replied to me within, like, an hour with, like, I think there's nine different advanced metrics filled out for each player, and it's color-coded to green if they are good, yellow if they're okay, and red if they're not so good. And then in each column, for reference, it shows you the top five players in that category with someone called out if it kind of explains why it's a little bit of a flawed metric. So, for example, the real plus minus, uh, it shows that it's sort of flawed because it's, it, it goes LeBron, Chris Paul. Yeah, you could argue those are two of the best guys in the league. But then 
Andre Iguodala is the third best player in the league, according to this one, ahead of Kevin Durant. You're kind of like, uh, what's up with that? So <laughs> exactly, and and we'll we'll get to why uh, what he reveals about that particular type of metric. So the the two main metrics that um, the fan, the average fan, has access to just looking around on websites. Um, the two main approaches are one, take their basic box score stats and combine them together in some sort of weighted way. To you, you know, basically, if you do something good, it increases your score, and if you do something bad, it decreases your score. If you score points, your, your score gets better. If you get a rebound, it's better. If you turn it over or miss a shot, that's worse. And the the most famous metric there is called player efficiency rating. It was it's used on ESPN.com a lot. It was invented by a former ESPN analyst, John Hollinger, who's now uh, works for the Memphis Grizzlies front office, and that's. The, I, I would say the most famous attempt to just take a one number to quantify how good a player is metric. And um, it's calibrated so that if you have a score of 15, you're an average NBA player. And if you're above that in the mid-20s, you're among the best players in the league. Uh, and, you know, if you're kind of below 14, 13, 12, you're, um, you know, struggling to get minutes on an NBA roster. And, and according to this metric, the top players in the league are Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Kevin Love. Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins and Chris Paul. Yeah. So there's no like huge, what the heck that, what the heck is that guy doing in the list cases? Um, but yeah, so that, that's a, that, that seems to add up in terms of what we understand to be some great players. That's right. And, and the main criticism of that one is that it tends to reward people who uh, create a lot of shots. If you, um, you know, if you wanted to maximize your score on this player efficiency rating, you would, um, and you could take five more shots and make two of them, you would probably increase your score. You know, there's, there's a threshold there. So, you know, the criticism was Iverson had a, had a decent player efficiency rating and he's not as good on some of these other things. Um, I think, um, Amir Johnson, former Piston actually always has a good player efficiency rating. uh, And that, that always sort of makes people laugh because he's not a coveted asset around the league. (laughs) Um, so, so that's, that's one, that's one of the two main approaches. The other approach is to try to, um, understand what the weaknesses are and realize that, you know, not every rebound is created equal. And, you know, is it good if you create a shot for your team or is it bad if you take a shot? Um, uh, do, and, and it just tries to cut to the bottom line and measure uh, whether your team does better when you're on the floor or whether it doesn't. It's a little bit like there are some measures like the hockey fans are familiar with plus minus. Uh, do you, do you score more goals while your team is uh, while you're on the ice that, uh, compared to when you're off? There are a few different ways of, of getting at that. The um, ESPN has uh, unveiled a new one this year, um, but the basic plus-minus measure is uh, it, it promises that holy grail that let's just cut through the crap and not argue about how to weight a rebound or a point. And it, on a bad team like the Pistons were last year. Everybody looks pretty bad on that, uh, and there it, it's a it's a good measure because it's you know it's good if your team does well, but there's a main main flaw with it, which is if you happen to be in the lineup when, with another good player, your plus minus is going to look really good, even if you contributed nothing to that, even if you your team did well despite that. And many teams have standard rotations, and you just might happen to be at the at the hip of the guy who's really. That's right. So yeah. it's not like you're rolling the uh, flipping a coin to decide who plays. You, you play with a regular rotation. So you end up with um, the Golden State Warriors starting lineup ended up 
it being a very effective five-man unit that played together a lot and did really well, Andre Iguodala, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson are the three top players in the league in plus-minus. Because they play well together, um, and maybe because Kevin Durant plays with Kev- uh, Kendrick Perkins <laughs> in his starting lineup. Um, the, so that's it's a measure that has a lot of... Uh, it's very attractive conceptually. Oh, let's just look at when your team does well or not. But it has this this Achilles heel. But ESPN has come up with this new measure called real plus minus where they try to correct for who's on the floor with whom and who's playing against whom. And they do really a lot of statistical, sophisticated analysis that's above my head, um, uh, frankly. Uh, and they and the the upshot of it is, you know, they end up showing LeBron and Chris Paul are the two best players in the league. One Golden State guy ends up in the in the on the list, uh, which is Andre Iguodala, number three, better than Kevin Durant. So it's still kind of a fishy measure, but it's still interesting. That measure, uh, just to preview something, actually is one of the few that shows that Josh Smith is a good player in the league. Uh, so it, it's um, it, it's a strange measure. The and then another one that maybe just to I don't know maybe just to, so it doesn't get uh, too geeky without actually getting grounded here. Why don't we just compare a couple of these numbers? As you just mentioned, according to the real plus minus, Josh Smith and Monroe are our two best players. Yes. And Jennings is by far our worst. And Drummond and Singler are uh, okay. Yep. And KCP is okay. And Drebko and is kind of yawn. And Bynum is also terrible. Yeah, Will Bynum is awful by that measure. So, and I don't know, in terms of how I observed the Pistons this past year, that does seem like it boosts Josh. I mean, even though I do feel like I'm a little bit of a Josh Smith uh, apologist compared to how people perceive him, I, I'm not sure I would rate him as more valuable than Drummond for for certain. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just, it's, it's really weird to have come up with this overall number of how good a player is and then ha- have this guy who's... You know, if you watch a game, it just looks like he's making so many mistakes. Yeah, uh, turn out to be, you know, nearly our best player. Uh, it, so there, are, there are a few different ways at getting at this. Using you, you can use use their numbers on the floor, or you can try to look at the plus minus. I like there's one number that I trust to measure somebody's offensive contribution, which is their offensive rating, and it basically figures out how many points you score and you know gives you some credit for getting assists and and figures out how much offense do you generate per possession that you use and you can use up a possession in a few different ways you can take a shot you can turn the ball over and you can uh, get fouled and shoot free throws and that's a good way of um, capturing how efficient you are uh, if you if NBA teams that uh, score 110 or more points per 100 possessions that they use uh, are top 10 offenses. And that's a, uh, that's a good threshold for figuring out whether um, a, a player, their own contribution to that, whether they're efficient or not. And we have a few guys that are, that are pretty good on that. Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond, Kyle Singler, and Jonas Drebko are all fairly efficient uh, offensive players. They don't miss a lot of shots and turn the ball over a lot. Uh, compared to, uh, in order to generate the offense that they generate, and this one, sh- and then this one shines through where it shows Josh Smith. Josh Smith has a rating of ninety-five, 
uh, the lowest, which is the, horrendous. Yeah, yeah, and that 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 shows his bad his bad shot selection. Him being the worst three point shooter in the league in terms of the volume he has. That's right. It, it the this one matches the eye test here, and to give you a sense, I like this offensive rating because it it gives you the you know. Um, players that do well on it are the ones that were, were, you're watching the game and they just always seem to be doing something good. Manu Ginobili, Chris Paul, LeBron James, they, they just don't seem to waste a lot of possessions. Uh, this is one of the ones where Iverson didn't do as well on. Uh, he was you know, closer to league average as a player on this, but he scored a lot because he used a lot of possessions. And that, yeah, so, so I think this one is really interesting in, in when you combine it with the usage percentage. Yeah. So usage is what percentage of their of the overall possessions that they actually use in the roster. So a combination of a good offensive rating and a high usage is great. Uh, a combination of a high usage and a bad rating is bad, and that's what Josh Smith has. He, he has the highest usage rating on this team and the lowest efficiency rating. So that's just yeah. kind of a big... Uh, yeah, he, he was just straight up bad for our offense, and that matches the eye test. We're swinging the ball around, 16 seconds left on the shot clock, uh, Smith looks to the corner. He could pass to somebody. Nope, I'm going to jack up this 18-foot uh, two-pointer instead. And uh, and more often than not, he missed it. Yeah, usage rating, that's a really good way to separate um, uh, whether somebody's efficiency is really doing something for you. To, to give you an example around the league, uh, the Birdman, Chris Anderson on the Miami Heat, he's uh, he has a very high efficiency rating, but he has a super low usage rating. What, what that means in layman's terms is he only uses up possessions when he's dunking back a rebound or catching an alley-oop and dunking it in. It's a lot like Tyson Chandler has done on the Dallas Mavericks title team a few years ago and on New York now. And it's what uh, it's a lot of what Andre Drummond does now. Low usage rating, high high efficiency. Yeah. What, what, what that means is he they have a role to play in a great offense, but he is not generating offense for you. You need other guys who can get open – who can beat their man. And uh, Drummond is just not that guy yet as far as the numbers show. Monroe does a little bit more to carry his weight. He um, he uses 21% of our team's possessions when he's on the floor, and 20% is you know carrying your weight with one-fifth. One so uh, Mon- Monroe does a little bit more to, uh, to generate shots. So we're not relying on Will Bynum, who has a high usage rating, too. Just he just dribbles until the shot clock's running out and jacks up a shot. He's good at getting a shot off, and at least he. But he's a low efficiency player. Uh, Will Bynum. Yeah, and and I think um, these is uh, and we're going to share the spreadsheet on the website brozane.com uh, once we post the podcast. But I'm looking at these two columns next to each other: the usage percentage and the offensive rating. And you can kind of run down and quick, get a quick shot of like, yeah, Josh Smith used up 25% of our offense and had a low efficiency. That's really bad. Jennings had a mediocre offensive rating and used up all, almost as much offense. That feels about right. Like he was like not awful, but he could have passed more and could have, uh, you know, yeah. He, he's not the problem. He, yeah. He he care. He at least you know will is not afraid to shoot it. And he does. He has a about league average offensive rating. And then Monroe uh, looks like he's playing pretty well, and he's using up just a little bit more than his share. But if you want him to become more of a future of your of your team, like we probably want to use use up a little bit more of the possessions. That's right. He's playing at a at a level right now where uh, he's not. You wouldn't make an all star team doing what he does on offense, but. Uh, 
he's one of the few guys that doesn't have red in either category <laughs> on our team, uh, which which is which tells you something and tells you a little bit about why we were you know below league average in offensive efficiency this year. Yeah, and and then Drummond, I think that's sort of a, a big question for him. He, he has an offensive rating high enough that he would be an All Star if big question he actually raised his usage rating from around 17% up to his share or more. And that's a big question for him this year. Can he grow to someone who actually isn't efficient just because he's dunking back or receiving alley-oops? He actually can create offense. Yep. He, he uh, Right now his offensive profile looks a lot like um, DeAndre Jordan on the Clippers, who also is very efficient on offense. Um, Chris Anderson, who I mentioned before. Robin Lopez uh, for, for uh, Portland. Uh, led the league in offensive efficiency, offensive rating this year, um, in part because he just you know catches open shot, open passes and dunks it, and gets offensive rebounds. Those are really valuable guys who can um, help your offense be good. But DeAndre Jordan plays with Chris Paul, who's also on that list, by the way, who is part of what makes him amazing. Uh, Robin Lopez plays with Lamarcus Aldridge. And Chris Anderson plays, you know, with, uh, with the Miami Big Three. So uh, Andre Drummond, if he's going to be a, a pillar of our offense going forward, uh, of being a, a good team, uh, he can't be the Chris Anderson, DeAndre Jordan role in the offense. He has to be at least the role that Dwight Howard played when he played for St- Stan Van Gundy in Orlando, which is uh, Dwight Howard had pretty pretty good offensive uh, rating, not as good as. Drummond is now, but he used enough possessions to carry his weight. He wasn't just catching alley-oops. He was generating offense. Now, the reason, by the way, Dwight Howard made the finals uh, with Orlando was because of his defense, and he was um, uh, just below all-star level, I guess, on offense, sort of like Greg Monroe is now, um, or, or or a little better. But he And then he had just world-class defense where he you know, took a team that had Hito Turkaloo playing a lot of minutes and made it the best defense in the league. Yes, yes. So that, that well, well, these numbers give you a little insight into what what do we need Andre Drummond to do, and what what has he done so far at age twenty? Yeah, and I have a question. I mean, I, we can we can run through the defensive rating as well, but before we do that, I, I'm wondering for a team like obviously there's only you can only add up to 100 percent of usage, and I wonder what a team like the Spurs would look like right this this year's Spurs where they have no team no member playing more than 30 minutes. And they're just so efficient. Would it be? Would it actually be like eighteen percent usage across the board, but just super high offensive rating? Or do you do you happen to know? Or? Well, the, this uh, usage percentage is while you're on the floor. So, okay. so you in order to get percentage of the teams overall, you have to like combine it with percentage of minutes you played. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, and and I, I, as I recall, what the Spurs shows, everybody has a good offensive rating because people either are like Tony Parker, where they can get by their man and generate shots, or they're uh, more like um, you know Matt Bonner, who just all he he's the three point equivalent of a guy who only dunks. He just stands in the corner, and the only shots he takes are wide open corner threes because Tony Parker broke down the defense. So he you know a guy like that will have a really high offensive rating. Um, but what the Spurs look like is is everybody's efficient because everybody only takes the shots that their role on the in the offense dictates that they take and there the, are no the, josh smiths on the spot <laughs> yeah, yeah and and the usage probably still there still are people who are high usage yeah they don't ha- they don't have any Allen iversons or lebron james's who take a high volume um you know the, but they do have tony parker and manu ginobili uh can generate offense they can get by their man or, or 
or uh, make make something happen on a pick and roll. And uh, Tim Duncan, you can throw it to him on the post. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, and just looking at defensive rating, right? Yeah. So before we even explain what it means, that what I'm seeing right now is that Josh Smith, Monroe, and Drummond are, are okay on defense, and everyone else is bad. Yeah, there, there's a measure called defensive rating, and I think that. It, it, and it's sort of supposed to be the mirror image of this offensive rating. It ca- it tries to capture everyone's percent uh, contribution to how good was your team's overall defense. And a good way to measure the team's overall defense is how many points do you give up per 100 possessions. That sort of controls for whether you play at a fast or slow pace. The, the main thing is the probability of a score on any given possession. I think this measure kind of shows uh, why it's really hard to quantify defense. And sneak preview, my opinion is you actually can't quantify how good someone is on defense using the stats that are available to us now. Um, Basically what this number does is it it takes something that is valuable, which is how good is the team, and gives you credit for playing minutes on a team that has a really good defense. So um, Yeah, because there aren't box score stats for shots altered. This sort of goes back to like why exactly. why couldn't you quantify how awesome Ben Wallace was, for example? Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, shots altered, or if um, you know you you deflected a pass and made a guy have to gather himself for a bit and take a an off balance shot, all that stuff that you know you hope to get at with these plus minus measures I mentioned before. The real Achilles heel with this defensive rating is it gives you credit for only the things you can measure. Doesn't give you credit because you closed out on a guy and made him dribble off his foot, but it does give you credit if you if you get a steal because that's a turnover that shows up in the box score that you caused. And it makes a guy like uh, Russell Westbrook who, who getting a steal look good, but if you, anyone who's been watching the Western Conference Finals can see, Russell Westbrook cannot guard Tony Parker for the same reason he gets steals. He gambles too much and he lunges and he gets out of position. So he gets a steal, and you know, once or twice a game, he gets a breakaway dunk, but he he just doesn't stay at home, and Tony Parker gets by him. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I wonder if uh, I, I kind of wonder if you look at the defensive rating and how it's kind of low across the board for the Pistons. You mentioned earlier that a big part of it is like how well your whole team was, and so if your team just isn't good at defense. You, it must be partly because you're not great at defense, but you're also if you're if you're part of a bad defense, it's going to be hard to have a. I mean, I, I would think that at least someone on our team is good at defense, but maybe just not. I mean, defense is a weird thing where um, coaching can seem to matter a lot, and whether the players are trying hard. I mean, David Lee of, of Golden State, uh, Kevin Love, and um, oh Zach, Zach Randolph of Memphis, those are all guys who are thought individually to be kind of bad defenders, and they're part of top 10 defenses in the league this last year. That tells you that not everyone has to be a lockdown defender. You have to have a team concept that works well. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone over a lot of the specific measures, and we've gotten a sense of some of the big picture, but looking at all this together right now, what's the big picture for the Pistons? Who's good? Who's not so good? Who do we really want to build upon? Yeah, I mean... If I try to look at what do we have, we have, um, I think, four or five guys who could be rotation players on a good team. Monroe, Drummond, Kyle Singler could play a role because he's, he's a efficient offensive player with limited usage. And then Josh Smith could kind of go either way. I, think, I, I still believe that if he's in the right role where he's reined in a little bit on offense, by some of these measures he's good, and by 
the ones that take into account his bad shots, he's bad. So uh, as as always, if you can get Josh Smith to not shoot those three or four bad shots a game, he's a good player. And uh, Brandon Jennings is is a passable offensive player. He's fine. We could probably find a player that's better than him, but we could also turn our attention elsewhere. The I will say one interesting thing: the only player on our roster last year who was average or good by every single measure I put on here was Greg Monroe. And that's something we have to take into account. We have to make a decision right now about whether to match somebody making a max offer to him. Yeah, and looking at this to me, last week I was talking about how I was almost favoring Josh Smith over Monroe and considering who we might deal. And I think I've this kind of changes my tune a little bit. Yeah, Josh Smith, I do think he's not he's not worthless and he's not a terrible contract. He he could definitely have value to our roster, but I would makes me think twice before dealing Monroe. We'd want to really get something good back for him. Yep, and it's all about what we can get back. If other teams look at this and see that they would give us something good back for him, then he's the guy to trade. The last thing I'll say about Drummond is we we've talked a lot about his potential and what his role has been. These plus minus measures and looking at net points per per possession on defense show that he's been a bad defensive player as as a team defender this last year. That's not that surprising at age 20. I think it's hard to learn how to play defense as a big man. Um, but th- that's an area where we really need him to step up in de- his development over the next couple of years because we know that he's the one for sure bu- uh, building block we have going forward. Yeah, so it sort of makes me feel like the plan of, you know, if we can get someone great and really have it work out by dealing Josh Smith or Monroe, fine. But if we can, if we can get convince Josh Smith to come off the bench and maybe even play relief for some of the minutes that, that for Drummond if, he, if he's kind of figuring it out as, as the season goes on, Drummond gains more confidence, becomes higher usage on offense. Uh, things could look pretty good. Yeah, uh, as as I say every off season, this is the year <laughs> <laughs> that, that that we at least start moving in the right direction. All right, cool. How's well, that for I, a hedge? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been telling everyone we could have a winning season. That's about as far as I'll go. But uh, uh, anyway, that wraps up this week's. And uh, thanks for listening.